Welcome to the Red Cloud Research Roundup, hosted by Red Cloud Financial Services. It's June 6th. This week from the Red Cloud Securities Research Team, Managing Director and Head of Research David Talbot, and Mining Analysts Kobe Kushner, Taylor Combalusier, and Timothy Lee are joining us to discuss the major events of the week in their coverage universes. Kobe, why don't you start by setting the stage on lithium? Thanks, Nicole, for that intro. Welcome to Episode 8 of Red Cloud's Research Roundup. I'm Kobe Kushner, a mining analyst. Dave, Taylor, Tim, and I are pleased to join you today as part of an ongoing series of discussions with the Red Cloud Research team. We'd like to discuss what's been going on in the lithium space as of recent. There's been some competing reports circulating discussing where lithium prices might be headed in the near term. The big article going around comes from Goldman Sachs. The report discusses investor enthusiasm leading to an oversupply. Goldman calls for a sharp correction in lithium prices, forecasting prices to drop below $54,000 a ton by year-end and down to $16,000 in 2023. And the piece was well-timed and perhaps served as a catalyst for lithium stocks to decline 10-15% over the last week, despite lithium prices actually seeing an uptick. We also saw a competing report stating that the oversupply is largely from lipidolite sources in China. This is an important distinction. Lipidolite is a secondary source of hard rock lithium next to spodumene. Lipidolite sources tend to be lower grade and because of the mica content can make metallurgy more difficult and costly. Metallurgy is key here. You need to produce a high purity concentrate in order to make a battery grade product. And we aren't just talking grade here. Uh, You also need very low levels of impurities, otherwise your product won't be suitable for EVs and won't fetch that battery grade premium. The takeaway from this competing article is that lithium fundamentals remain strong, and that the risk of oversupply is likely overstated given the tendency for lithium projects to come online behind schedule. In terms of what we think, Red Cloud stands somewhere in the middle. On one hand, we don't expect lithium prices above $60,000 a ton to sustain long-term. If we compare this sector to gold, on an all-in basis, an ounce of gold sells for about double the cost to get that ounce out of the ground. With lithium carbonate, the selling price per ton is anywhere between, say, 10 to 12 times the cost. Generally, we think those involved in the lithium space tend to agree with us here. Developers tend to use $14,000 to $15,000 a ton in lithium hydroxide and ten dollars to $12,000 a ton for carbonate in their economic studies. We use long-term prices of $18,000 and $15,500 respectively in our models. While lithium stocks have benefited from this past rally, it appears that investors aren't putting too much weight on current spot prices when investing in developers. Looking at a stock like Norum Lithium as an example, That's NRM on the Venture Exchange. We do not currently rate the stock. Norm is up roughly 20% year-on-year. During the same period, lithium prices are up over 400%. Norm released a maiden PEA for its Zeus lithium project in Nevada, and this is next door to Albemarle's Silver Peak brine operations, which is the USA's only source of domestic lithium production. Using carbonate prices of $9,500 a ton, the project has a post-tax MPV of $1.3 billion. But what's key here is that a 50% increase in price provides approximately a 100% increase in NPV. To reiterate our point, despite lithium prices being up 400%, Norm has only appreciated 20%. There is more to the story, however. Norm shares a different part of the same deposit held by Cypress Development, which is a not-rated stock. 
Comparatively, Cypress is up about 30% year over year, and despite both projects sharing very similar economics, Cypress trades at over three times Norm's market cap. Cypress is more advanced, with a PFS under it and a higher proportion of its resource in the M&I categories, but we do have line of sight for Norm to reach a similar level of advancement, having just completed an infill program which was focused on upgrading inferred resources to M&I ahead of a PFS by year-end. Circling back to the Goldman Sachs article, we're hesitant to call for an oversupply given the uncertainty on the demand side. Analyst supply forecasts have remained relatively stable, hovering around 630,000 tons of LCE for 2022, suggesting that the increasing supplies we're seeing are not completely unexpected. It's the demand side we ought to be paying more attention to. Analyst forecasts fluctuate between 620 to 640,000 tons of LCE for this year, and since April, we saw prices in China start to dip on the back of lower demand due to COVID-19 lockdowns. But the rest of the world was still playing catch-up to Chinese pricing. Looking at a globally weighted average, prices remained rather flat. And now that China is slowly reopening its doors, we're starting to see prices tick back up. But bottom line, if there is an oversupply this year, we don't expect it to be too significant, uh, most likely under 6,000 tons, well below the oversupply levels that we saw in 2019 of about 80,000 tons. Whether or not short-term oversupply has a major impact on battery-grade lithium prices is another question on its own. After all, we do still expect deficit to return in 2024 and continue to worsen going forward. Comparing this rally to the last one in 2017, we're seeing EV manufacturers play a much bigger role this time around, with big-name automakers competing to secure offtakes, strategic alliances, or even buying stakes in lithium miners themselves. And if there's one thing this latest rally has taught us, it's that EV manufacturers are okay paying hefty premiums in order to ensure supply. What's clear to us is that automakers are still worried about the long-term supply constraints. I've gone on long enough here. Dave, what are your thoughts? Great summary on the lithium sector, Kobe. Thank you for that. I'm David Talbot, Managing Director and Head of Research. Another way we believe investors can play this lithium sector growth is through investment in near-term producers, and we'll get to an example in a moment. I just wanted to tack on a comment or two about the lithium sector myself. We also don't believe $70,000 a ton LCE is sustainable. With prices well over 10 times the cost of producing lithium carbonate, the issue isn't about marginal cost base typical of most supply-demand dynamics. There is more at play here. Geopolitics is a concern, and investors should really treat lithium as an industrial mineral. It's not like gold or silver or copper or uranium. That means pricing is related to the quality and the attributes of the final product. While deposits are not created equal in any commodity, for lithium specifically, prices are based on lithium purity, impurities, electrochemical properties, and other attributes, and whether or not we're talking about end products of concentrate, carbonate, or hydroxide. This is more like an iron ore or graphite situation than other commodities. Certain impurities simply make the deposit unusable by the battery industry, and it doesn't matter how much supply there is. Secondly, and probably more important right now, are geopolitical influences. It is no secret that China has been buying as many lithium deposits as it can around the world. 
Many jurisdictions have now classified lithium as a strategic mineral, Canada and U.S. included. Others have gone as far as to nationalize the industry, such as Mexico, or make that threat, such as Chile. Now, we would expect a larger proportion of protectionism surrounding the commodity on the mining side, and this is characterized by security of the lithium supply by the end users. Many battery makers, manufacturers, and even OEMs are coming upstream to get involved at the lithium company or the lithium deposit level, and we're seeing a greater push recently from Western companies, including Ford, GM, POSCO, and others. What we are seeing is more North American and European activity as well in sourcing raw materials. And what I believe this will lead to is a game of us versus them, China versus the West. $150 billion was spent on battery manufacturing plants last year, and that's up 60% year over year, with more to come in my opinion. The competition will be fierce, and, there, and really this is going to be the key driver of lithium prices, now and in the foreseeable future regardless of the cost profile in the short term. Now at the top of this segment, I mentioned that another way we believe investors can play this lithium growth story is through investment in near-term producers. And about a month ago, we spoke about Sigma Lithium, not rated, one of these near-term producers. It's worth mentioning again. Sigma should begin its phase one production in Brazil by year end. It recently increased reserves by 143%, and its Phase 1 feasibility study update provided an 8% MPV of U.S. $1.6 billion. The guidance was that production should at least double by 2020. Well, a combined Phase 1, Phase 2 technical report put out recently also had plans for a Phase 3 PEA. And this could see Sigma emerge as the fourth largest lithium producer on the planet. The combined after-tax MPV is $5.1 billion US, and the IRR is almost 600%. Combined production is estimated 531,000 tons of lithium concentrate, and this would provide ad average annual free cash flow of almost $600 million US over a 13-year life of mine. Phase 1 is fully funded, and Phase 2 capex is just under $80 million, with construction to begin when phase commissionings Phase 1 commissioning starts. Phases 1 and 2 see production from just two deposits, but this Stage 3 PEA that's due this summer could see further expansion as Sigma looks to expand using other resources and even further expansion of six other deposits that are known. So ultimately, this is to be one of the world's highest grade, lowest cost lithium mines in the world. Stay tuned on that. Taylor, I believe you wanted to speak about a precious metals rich polymetallic company today. Thanks, Dave. I'm Taylor Combalusier, a mining analyst here at Red Cloud Securities. This week, I wanted to speak about Altelay Mining. We currently have a buy rating and $1 price target on the stock. Altelay is a Red Cloud banking client. Last week, Altelay reported Q1 production and financial results. While the company had a challenging Q1, it reported that the mechanical issues stemming from the SAG Mill reduction gearbox, which hampered production at Campo Morado, have been resolved. We expect the second quarter to be much better and anticipate steady improvements through the remainder of 2022 as the company ramps up its Tao mine to 1,000 tons per day and produces a copper concentrate at Campo Morado, which would add another revenue source at the mine. Turning to Tao the company reported that the processing facility is operational with one ball mill allowing for milling of up to 500 tons per day. 
Flotation cells, concentrate thickeners, and concentrate filters have been successfully tested. The crushing facility is expected to be completed in June of this year, while a second ball mill is scheduled to be completed in the third quarter, bringing milling capacity to 1,000 tons per day. Initially, a bulk concentrate is planned to be produced with a change to the production of a precious metal rich lead and zinc concentrate as soon as feasible. A copper concentrate is also expected to be produced in late 2022. We believe the remainder of 2022 is set to be an important year for Altelay as it works to achieve numerous milestones that should transition it to being a primary precious metals producer. Tim, over to you to wrap up this week's podcast with an update on Lumina Gold. Thanks, Taylor. This week, Lumina Gold reported drilling results from their Congrejos Gold Copper Project in Ecuador. The 13 reported holes include seven at the larger Congrejos deposit and six at the adjacent Gran Bestia deposit. One hole drilled in the eastern margin of Congrejos further expanded that deposit to the east, with about 318 meters above cutoff grade, including a higher grade intersection within a breccia zone. As well, drilling at Gran Bestia also expanded in a high-grade breccia zone there. One hole encountered 336 meters of gold copper mineralization from right at surface, including higher grade intervals. This higher grade breccia zone now measures 500 meters in length and 200 to 300 meters in width, and it remains open for expansion. Lumina is conducting this program both to infill portions of the deposits and to further zero in on these higher grade zones, and the results help the company achieve both of those goals. The company has completed 27,000 meters of drilling on the project so far this year, and they are expanding their initially planned 30,000 meter program by at least another 4,000 meters. This additional drilling will focus on the northwest part of Gran Bestia, where a previous hole angled out from the deposit encountered mineralization well beyond the resource and outside the proposed pit boundary. Once completed, this drill program should lead to an updated resource estimate upgrading and expanding the already large 20 plus million ounce gold equivalent resource and the company currently expects to complete a pre-feasibility study in the first half of 2023. Thanks for listening to the Red Cloud Research Roundup. We hope you enjoyed the dive into recent notable mining news with our research team. Remember, you can join us every Monday for new episodes. And as always, head over to redcloudsecurities.com for full disclosures and to sign up to our email list. That's it for this episode and see you next time.